Hi there, this is Steve, but this isn't the beginning of the show. Before we begin, I invite you to check out my free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence. If you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or leader with financial responsibility in your company, you'll definitely not want to miss this one. I'll cover how a winning strategy combined with operational excellence drives higher cash flow and firm value. You can watch it for free at cultbar.com. I'll also link it in the show notes below. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to the Strategic Financial Leadership Podcast, a podcast for entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professionals who want to elevate their game and reach new levels of abundance and success. I'm Steve Coffrin, the founder of Coltvar, and I've spent my entire career growing and turning around companies, and together we'll explore the latest happenings in the world of strategy and finance. Let's do this. Before we begin, just remember that this podcast is for educational purposes and the information shared herein should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Check out our terms and conditions in the show notes to learn more. Now onto the show. So let's jump into today's conversation with Andrew now. Let me ask you this. So like, What types of subjects were you interested in as a kid? Yeah, I really liked a whole range of subjects, but probably favorite was math and geography, a few, a few other subjects like that. When I was in high school, I discovered accounting and really kind of fascinated me that you could combine numbers with business decisions, whether they're doing financial accounting or uh, management accounting. Then I went into college and undergrad and I focused on, on that. And I got lucky enough to get a job almost immediately after school with Arthur Young, which was you know, back in the late 80s, that's when it was. It was uh, one of the big eight, now, you know, which is now the big four. Steve, I think you're, you probably remember when EY, maybe that's just before your time, but EY was formed from Arthur Young and Ernst and Winnie. Yep. Um, yeah. So I, I actually worked at it. I worked at Ernst and Young. So that's, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm familiar with that. And you, you, you got some of the history. Yep, yeah. exactly. And, and I got really fortunate in those times. Soon after working with Arthur, I worked with Arthur Anderson, uh, uh, consulting and audit. And uh, Anderson was, of course, one of the big eight that got destroyed in the Enron fiasco. And not many people know about that now, uh, Steve, but Anderson was different from the other firms. It was just one single global partnership. The other large firms were affiliations. Being a global firm, you know, meant that all of us had the kind of training, development, and the opportunity to move internationally that other firms didn't have to a single firm. But on the flip side, it also resulted in the collapse of the firm when one single office got into trouble with the Enron case, which was the Houston office. Uh, so the whole firm collapsed with that, with that one office's issues. Overall, for me personally, that was a really good start and very good grounding in consulting and audit and accounting. Yeah. So at that time, did you want to stay in public accounting for the rest of your career? Or did you not know what you wanted to do? Or were you like, hey, I'm going to come in for a few years, pick up some experience, then I'm out? What, what were you thinking at the time? I actually was interested in moving up in the public accounting with more responsibility towards partnership. But really, I didn't have the opportunity, I think, well, one, because it was a really smaller, much smaller office. You know, I worked in the Kuwait office uh, and later on in the Dubai and Oman offices. I, I was there when uh, Kuwait was invaded by Iraq in, in, the, in wow. 1990. Yeah, so I, so really, but I think the barrier was more size of the office. So there were, really wasn't enough room to grow. But it, it, it certainly wasn't something I did not want. You know, it just didn't have the room for it. 
Absolutely. So how did living abroad and how has your international experience shaped who you are today? And is it a good idea for youngsters, you know, growing up in their career to get some international experience? Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, we've talked about that before, Steve. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a first generation immigrant here, you know, came, came in 2000, joined with, uh, with the company move. And really for me, bring that international perspective, you can really appreciate the cultural differences a lot more. We went back to the Middle East, you know, with the company about 10 years ago. And you really see that kind of opportunity to kind of bridge cultures, but also it's not just culture, it's also working style and just pace of life. There's so many different things that mixing brings. I agree. And, you know, that taught me a lot when I did my MBA program through Duke, you know, I had the opportunity to travel to four different countries. So we studied in China and India and Chile and Germany. And, you know, I have to admit, you know, going into these programs, you know, I was kind of naive to the rest of the world. Like, sure, I, I traveled to a few other places before the program, but never to, you know, opposite sides of the world. Yeah, South, Mar- the- South America is fascinating as well. So Chile, huh? I, I didn't, yeah. I, I didn't hear yeah, that. Yeah, it's and, pretty and fascinating. China, I always wanted to go. There. I've always wanted to go to China and Japan. Actually, I've never been to China or Japan. You know, I've been to a lot of places, but I've been to China or Japan. I'd love to go there. Yeah, and is it, is so it you did all place. that in the space of one program, one MBA program. You did China, India, uh, Chile, and what is the fourth one in Europe? In Germany, the Netherlands, yeah. Germany. Okay. Yep, Germany, wow. and it, it, yeah, it's all different residencies, and we had a a chance to live in these different countries and study, and it, wow. it taught me a lot about just the cultures and the different cultures you know, how people in different cultures view power, like power distance, whether you can walk into the CEO's office and just say, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. Or if that's taboo, Uh, we also learned about like time, you know, how do people view time in South America? It's very, you know, it's it's relative, (laughs) relative time. Like, Hey, you know, let's meet at 10 o'clock means roughly 10, 10 30 versus in the United States. It's rude to be one minute late. Right. So it just taught me a lot of differences about people and it, yeah. it taught me how to respect differences of opinions and different cultures and how to be like enriched and empowered by these differences rather than to be fearful or, you know, turned off by these differences. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it, it does. And, you know, in, in business, I, I think, you know, and I've certainly seen kind of my fair share of different uh, cultures in, you know, India, the Middle East, uh, Europe, and North America. I think one thing that kind of comes across in business also is, you know, everywhere in business, uh, relationships are important to achieve, you know, that that's a given, right? But you see in certain cultures that relationships are put above principle sometimes at some point. And that's where I think for North Americans, it becomes difficult to manage. Like, no, you're doing something wrong. I don't care if you're my best friend. I'm right. going to stop you, you know? And I think there you see some cultural differences that actually percolate into changes in action, right? So I, I think you culturally, if some cultures put that relationship above, you know, legal or business considerations, always, you know, and, and I think that's an adjustment that people have to make. Absolutely. I agree. And it, it's definitely something to navigate. Let me go back to a comment that you made earlier. You said you really liked accounting. You like the story behind the numbers and how it relates to business and you're into math and numbers. Do you think that's a necessary attribute of a successful leader of an organization? Does a CEO or a CEO, should they have some type of basis of accounting and finance and, and numbers? Or do you think that's just the responsibility of a CFO or financial leader? No, really, I think it's it's the responsibility of all leaders. 
really everyone in business who's got to. And, and uh, Steve, it, you know, I teach uh, MBA students over here in Houston, and you've got people who work in government, in private organizations, large public organizations, but right, right across the board. You know, So MBA programs, they do want you to know about capital planning. They do want you to know about budgeting and all the financial areas because they see that as so important to a well-rounded management education, right? And the reason that is is because you've got people who are making decisions based on a whole range of factors, but the numbers, whether it's you know rate of return, net present value, or you know your pay, how many years your money is going to be at risk, your payout, all of that are important factors in making project decisions, right? So yes, they're not the only factors, but they're very important factors in that overall decision. Yeah, absolutely, and and having a just a foundational understanding of these things is pretty critical. Let me ask you this. Is it possible to know all this stuff? Like I knew a lot of people that went through accounting programs and finance programs, and they're very smart when it came to, you know, the debits and credits and the fundamentals of a financial statement. But sometimes I I noticed that they missed the whole point or the whole story. Do you see this in um, your daily interactions or in, in your leadership roles? Is it possible to know the numbers and to understand the concepts, but to miss the whole point and the whole story behind the integration of finance and business and relationships? I, I think so, Steve. You know, the, the U.S. system, if you, if you look at the development of U.S. GAAP, right, and U.S., the SEC and, and the FASB, over the years, the, the U.S. has kind of generally been perceived as a very strong and valued structure, set of standards. But over the years, you've had successions of people trying to work around the rules or do so. So it became, it's become very rules-based. If you compare that to like the international standards, the U.S. accounting standards are very rules-based rather than principles-based. And what's happened with that is that you inevitably have to spend more and more time really understanding and interpreting the rules themselves. So it really leaves less bandwidth, I would say, for senior accounting professionals to, to get really involved with the business. I think that's unfortunate, but I think to, to a large extent, that's not been the same uh, with you know other financial areas where they talk about management accounting so that's more financial accounting but when you talk about management accounting or you talk about finance whether it's treasury or tax or well taxes complicated in itself but i think if you talk about financial operations it's probably not as pronounced but i think part of the problem that you know you, you you mentioned just how complex our world has become Sure. So how do you see the world changing, the world of finance? I mean, you teach MBA students, you've been a financial leader, you've been a business leader, you've been very successful in your career. How do you see the role of the CFO or the financial leader transforming over time? I think more leaders are recognizing that they've got to have those multiple skills. They've got to have those broader skills both uh, from a strategic perspective, and if you say, what would you define as a strategic perspective? I think it's saying it's both over term, right? So it's, it's like looking over uh, like longer term issues, but it's also looking at breadth, right? So it's, it's also the breadth of the business. So it's a strategy of you're looking at how that fits into the overall business. So it's, it's both length of term as well as the breadth. I think more more people are seeing that. I think also that technology has helped more people get there by being able to quickly communicate and get data from through search or a number of sources, but also in terms of being able to quickly analyze and digest data from a number of sources. 
And so I think people who may not have had the ability to do that effectively in terms of really understanding their business, they can do that with technology. Absolutely. Steve, you, you, you've worked with a number of businesses. Are, are you seeing something like that with your clients and customers? Yeah, I can echo what you said regarding like this whole strategic movement where, you know, in the past, I think the financial leader was somebody who was over compliance in the transactional side of the business. And they're doing debits and credits in the back office to produce these financial statements. And, you know, in the executive meeting, when it is their turn to talk about the financials, he or she would speak up. I think now you're starting to see the CFO own more of the strategy process, you know, because without strategy and in the financial side, if, if those two things aren't integrated, then you just have some marketing plan with a bunch of garbage. Yeah. Or if you have more weight on the financial side, then you just have like all these budgets, right? And your strategy right. becomes like an over complex, over explained budget. So I think the integration of those two has been key. And, and to your point of like the strategic leader needs to be thinking about new trends, new technologies, new movements, what's next on the horizon is really important. And so it's, it's shifting this function and shifting this role quite a bit. Yeah, and and I think it's not just finance. So so if you look at traditional organizations and structures, right? I think in many organizations, not all, you know, there were a lot of exceptions, but many organizations, finance, legal, HR, IT, supply chain management, they've all been kind of they've been they were relegated to like the kids' table, right? So they didn't have a full seat at the table. They were kind of called on when when needed. But I think there's more of a recognition that all of these areas are so important. I mean, if you look at, you know, IT and HR, so many, so many other areas, all of that is a critical, core pieces of, of every business now, right? Sure. So yeah. I, I think it's not just finance, it's all. Yeah, all of them are starting to play a bigger role in it. And I think that's great because it's the diversity of opinions and yeah. just these, these different perspectives that people bring is extremely valuable to the organization. Now, in the past, Andrew, you and I, we were talking about this concept of a triple bottom line. So can you explain yeah. that to the listeners? What is meant by this concept and how do you think that relates both professionally and personally? You know, and, and, and this has been around for a while. Uh, you know, it's been around, the concept's been around for 30 years. I forget the name of the, there was an Englishman who came up with the term about 30 years ago. And really it was around saying your activities as an organization, your projects, you should strive for financial, social, and environmental benefits, right? Uh, it's also been, it was kind of modified to be called the three P's, the people, planet, and profit, right? And, you know, many people have, would have heard that term. But I think it, it became more and more common to see that and say, hey, we can do this. We can, do, we can look at projects as being much more than just financial benefit. How can it improve jobs in the area? You know, how can we engage uh, the local workforce? How can we protect the environment or even improve? One of the things that really intrigued me about that is whether you can take that concept and apply it to your own portfolio of projects that you're working on, whether it's at home, with your family and friends, with your work, with your uh, studies, and say, how do I do things that tap into all of those? So it's almost like making your individual projects, your personal goals, include those. And you know, I, I think once people start to think like that, and I think it's intuitive to us. We, we want to do good, right? And, and I think it's intuitive to take that and kind of individualize that concept. Yeah. And I, I think that's so smart. And that really struck me, you know, last time we were talking, you know, because in business, you know, 
we hear that you're seeing more companies like ESGs coming out and you're seeing more investment flowing into this area where people are like, hey, yeah, it's not just about making profits for the shareholders, but it's also about profitability and doing good by the stakeholders, by everybody in the community, right? But I think when you relate it on the personal side, you know, it gets really interesting because if a person's pursuing a life that's just financial based, I mean, you're going to get to the point where money's just money, right? Right. After a point, it, it doesn't have much utility beyond, you know, covering the basics. And sure, you know, you could buy a, a new sports car and it's fun at first. And then it, you know, it loses its, its its appeal and its luster there. And then, you know, you often, you, you buy your, your second home or third home or your private jet or whatever. But I've seen so many executives that, you know, reach these high levels of financial success and then their lives are just empty. So I think when you start applying these other areas, this triple bottom line idea of, Hey, how are my relationships with people? Okay, how am I doing from a, a financial perspective? Okay, that's great. It's a noteworthy pursuit, you know, especially if you take that money and you could go do other things with it. I'm all for that. And then, you know, what am I doing for the planet or for my community and, you know, for a bigger cause other than just myself? And I, I think when we can take this concept and apply it to our lives, this is where we could start to get more in harmony with all these good things that we should be doing. No, that that definitely makes sense like that, uh, Stephen. Thank you for uh, kind of building on that concept for me. It's, it's, I think it's really, it's, it's something that kind of fascinated me personally saying, hey, how can I think about that? And when I'm agreed to take on an activity, how, how am I doing? How am I kind of tapping on those three areas? Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you about your life, Andrew. Has your life been what you expected? I mean, are you a, a goal-oriented person? Do you set goals and do you have plans? And are you living the life that you planned out 5, 10, 20 years ago? Or has it taken you down different paths that you never expected before? Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, that's, that's, that's always an interesting one. I think uh, the short answer is no, I, I didn't expect to be doing this, you know, at, at this point. You know, I, I, I thought of myself as kind of a broad uh, financial or general management leader for, you know, in a large organization. I think one of the things that I don't think it's a lack of focus that I struggled with, but I, it was around understanding some of the dynamics. In, in organizations and how they work and working some of those more effectively. So I, I didn't climb the corporate ladder in the way that I thought I would. So that's one. But I, on the other hand, I don't have any regrets about it. I, I think it's that the journey itself was so varied and so interesting to me that I don't feel like I lost it. Hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but <laughs> that's how, it, how, it, how I feel about it. It does. No, and it, it's interesting because... You know, I've always been like a goal-oriented person. And that's why I like to ask this question to people. You know, I yeah. when I was a, a youngster, I remember having a, a journal by my bedside and, you know, I'd write in my journal uh, different goals that I wanted to achieve. And here I was like, you know, 10 years old writing down goals, which is crazy. <laughs> but it, it's interesting because there's been some twists and turns throughout my life. Like when I became CFO of a company, I didn't have anywhere in my goal book, be a CFO in the next 12 right. months or 24 months. It just... You know, I worked hard, you know, I created value for organizations and then the opportunity opened up and I was well positioned to take it, but it, it wasn't anything that was in my life plan and nor was it part of my goals. So it's interesting as some people, you know, they have a plan, they stick to it and they go through life and they achieve things. Right. And I think we all have trials and tribulations I, and there's definitely twists and turns in everybody's life, but it's, it's interesting how people's lives evolve over time and. It, how they it is. It is. 
And you know, I, I think you know, we, I, I make it a habit not to talk about uh, politics and stuff, but but I think to some extent, if you're in somewhere towards the center of that, so so you said you know some are very goal oriented and some are very kind of loose every day. You know, hey, let's take it as it comes, right? So yep. somewhere towards middle, I think, is where there's the most balance and harmony. And that kind of mirrors how I see political things as well, that, that often it's a middle position that's the most in balance and is the most effective in some way, right? Sure. You know, unfortunately, when, when we have uh, political debates and political things in, in the news, what you're hearing most of the time or seeing most of the time is not the middle, it's not the, the balanced moderate, it's one extreme or the other. And I think it applies to life in general that you say, you know, I, I don't want to wake up every morning not knowing what my day is going to be anything, not knowing anything about what my day is going to be like. But I also don't want to be so regimented that I can't spare 15 minutes to stop and chat with someone. Hey, real quick, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you're an entrepreneur or business leader and you want to take your game to the next level or you want to avoid being crushed out there during these uncertain times, be sure to check out our free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence by visiting cultivar.com or through our Boosting Your Financial IQ app. I'll link this in the show notes as well. I'm also offering some freebies, so be sure to check it out. Now back to the show. Yep. Oh, and, and that's such a great point. And I love that, you know, because you have to find the middle and the extremes. And even going yeah. back to the triple bottom line, you know, if you're a, in a strategic leadership position and you say, hey, look, we're just going to pursue things that are all about the environment and about the planet and you can bankrupt your company, right? You could give yeah. so much and <laughs> give away so much, you bankrupt it, right? And same thing is true with people. You say, you know, people, they're so important. We're going to pay these great salaries, have all these benefits. We're never going to make any cuts. And if you don't make the necessary cuts when demand goes down or, you know, your revenues are declining, you can destroy the rest of your business and a lot of other people yeah. will be out of work. There's middle ground. And I, I think that's a really good point that you make, Andrew, and a really good lesson learned that it's in the middle somewhere because whatever position you're in, whether it's politics or whether it's in business or in your personal life and personal relationships, people have opposing perspectives oftentimes, but oftentimes they want the same thing. And the same thing is often in the middle. It's just disguised by extremes oftentimes. So let me ask you this. What do you think, like when you hear the term strategic financial leadership, you know, that's what this podcast is about. What does that term even mean to you? Well, you know, I think, you know, of course, it's a conjoint term, right? If you kind of break them apart, let's say strategic financial leadership as a term is some kind of an amalgamation of what each of those terms mean, right? So the strategy part, and I think we talked about that, is that you're not looking at something from a kind of narrow perspective. So it's broader, both in terms of length of period, of duration, right? As you're saying, I'm looking for the next five years, 10 years, or longer. But it's also broader in terms of what you look at, right? So you don't just look at the financial piece or you don't don't just look at one piece of the business, you look at the whole. So that yeah, we, we talked a little bit about that. I think from, from a leadership perspective, though, not a lot different. Financial leadership is not a lot different from leadership in other areas, you know. So it's, it's really about inspiring your team, serving your stakeholders and, you know, working together to build something, right? And, and, and really making sure that you are leading a team that is that's both the right fit for what the task is but also works together. So it's not just task-oriented, but also relationship-oriented that we're in this together. 
that makes perfect sense. So what if you were giving me advice and you said, hey, Steve, here are some key core attributes that you must develop in order to be successful as a person, both professionally and personally. What attributes would you recommend I focus on and, and really try to hone in so I could become you know, a really effective person and a, a great person overall? I think be, be kind. I know you well enough to know that you don't need the advice, Steve. Be kind and giving the other person the benefit of doubt. When, you know, when, when somebody's saying something that is really at odds with what you believe in or does something that is really offensive to you in some way or something of detriment to you, I think you just say, is there something that I don't know? Is there something this other person doesn't know? Is there something we both don't know? Are there some circumstances? So you go through the whole list and say, once you get to that list, you're going to say, there are going to be so many things around that you cannot answer definitively. So just give the other person the benefit of the doubt, right? That would be one. You know, that's, I see that as part of being kind, being a kind person. The other thing I think is just keep your skills up because there's so much available, whether it's Wikipedia, Google search, just Search is a great way to do it as well. I'm not trying to promote Google. It just happens to be the one I use. Right. And most, but it's just easy to, to get information, stay up to date you know, on what's happening, get, get some regular news sources that are reliable and balanced and stay up to date. And then the third thing I think is just try to balance your relationships, how you work day to day and your work, try to balance that. So that, that's kind of the advice I would give to somebody starting early in their career. And if you look back on your own life and you went back to 20-year-old Andrew, what would you tell Andrew? I think I, I really struggled with the kindness part. I was abrasive, I think, in my 20s, early 30s. Definitely much more type A type. I think I grew smart. I, I just grew more mature. And it, it just became easier to work with me as I grew older. Because I, I, I was fo so focused on knowledge and task that it kind of my relationship sides were not as they should be. It's interesting you said that because I just had a conversation just the other day with one of my clients who um, is an owner of a company, and he was saying the same thing that over time, you know, as he continues to age, he gets softer and his approach <laughs> is more kind. He's like, when I was in my 40s, especially in my 30s, I was really brash. I wanted to like conquer the world. You know, he was very short with people, very task oriented. And it's yeah. interesting to hear your perspective and, and hear you echo that point that over time, you know, you like soften and become more in touch. And, and also you probably get to see a, a lot more perspectives over time and realize that, hey, maybe my perspective isn't necessarily the right perspective, right? Right. No, that, that's true. And I, I'm, I'm not a sexist by a long shot, uh, Steve, but I think maybe too much of testosterone or something, but you tend to see 20-something men be predominant in that kind of aggressiveness more, more than they should be. Yep, absolutely. So where do you see the opportunities for growth and innovation and value creation into the future? Oh, that's sorry. a really pertinent question because I'd I, 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 I could do a whole lot. <laughs> segment on that but since uh, middle of last year i've been in this new role as commercial director for oxy's low carbon ventures and this is easily the most exciting job i've had in my career i've got a 35 year career this is the most exciting i've ever been you know so we've got a large ecosystem that developing projects to capture transport and just permanently sequester carbon dioxide 8,000 feet below the surface right there's so much happening in this space, Steve, as the, the whole world's realizing that solutions like reducing consumption, reforestation, 
and much, much of others, they're, they're, they're needed, but you have to take an all of the above approach, right? So you've got to include the stuff that I'm working on, which is carbon capture and sequestration. And so whether you're capturing it from the air or capturing it from industrial sources, you're capturing it and putting it away forever. So I think that's a big area, but also the other clean energy spaces, whether you're you know, working around a whole bunch of new technologies for clean energy, I think that's a huge growth area. And then I, you know, I try to persuade you at some point, I think, Steve, to come to Houston and at least to visit more often. Uh, but, you know, you've got the big three, I think. If you, if you look at, you know, what are the exciting areas to get into for someone starting out very early in their career to move to? One would be clean energy. Uh, the other one would be medicine, medical devices, and medicine in general, just human health. And then the third is space. I mean, I, who's not excited about what's happening in the space area? I've been in Houston now seven years. Just so excited because I, I don't know if you knew this, but you've got the biggest medical center in the world. Wow, I didn't know that. What I know in yeah. Texas, you know, I, I come from the, you know, the solar utility scale solar side. And uh, when I was a CFO, that's what we were heavily involved in that business. And there's so much new utility scale solar coming online in Texas. And, yeah. and you're right, you know, in its infancy, as far as the yeah. technology goes. And when you start coupling like battery storage in with these solar sites and when the technology gets yeah. better, just from the, each of the, the solar panels, you know, the opportunities are just yeah. through the roof. And, and even stuff that is consider, considered, like, you know, say, they say, oh, fossil fuels are bad, but think about, think about how clean natural gas and even crude oil are compared to, you know, predecessor dominance of coal. And sure. coal, people don't, uh, don't remember, but how clean coal is compared to burning wood, which was, <laughs> which is where we get, and how good burning wood was compared to whale oil or whatever, you know. But I, I think it's progression. You, you can't just say, okay, coal bad. Because it's actually better than its predecessor, right? And you people have invested in and there's infrastructure in it. So you kind of look at when you want to phase that out and when you want to replace that. In some cases, your answer is decades out, you know? But you've got to make smart moves to get better, right? So, yeah, so clean energy is not only about solar and wind. You know, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of potential in wind as well. Uh, and Texas, uh, you probably know that, you know, Texas is state has made a lot of investments there. But I think each of these, each of those come with their own challenges. And I think we've got to kind of understand how do you keep our, our world running in the meantime? Well, and I think you just nailed it, Andrew, really. And that's what I love about you is this idea of progression, this learning, yeah. this growth, this progressing, you know, just always, you know, trying to become a, a better person or, you know, unlock potential, whether that's in your personal life or professionally. So with this drive for progression and with so much information coming at you and, and you, you talked about search and how you could search so many different topics and there's just so much distraction out there. How do yeah. you stay focused on What's most essential to you? For me, that when I, when I was younger, and even to some extent today, staying disciplined and focused and organized is somewhat of a challenge because I'm just I get enthusiastic, I do get distracted, you know, and, and I see that as a growth area for me. And it's it's hard to be talking about growth when you're in your fifties and say, say, but I still, you know, I I I think that self awareness that's something I still need to improve on is is important to me. That I, I that's an area. Staying focused on, on tasks is important to me, and I, I'm still trying to improve. One of the things that I use, and, and I would definitely recommend to people, is use the technology that, you know, again, I'm not endorsing Microsoft. 
<laughs> but I love Teams. So if you look at Microsoft Teams, you look at some of the technology with Outlook and, and Teams and, and you know, just some of the technology, it allows you to kind of stay organized and disciplined. You've you got your calendar there, you've got everything that you, you can put on there, and then you store files or data that, that you don't have to go hunting for them. Obviously, put some thought into how to structure it. But I think using the technology really helps, and it, it certainly has helped me. No, that that's a great point. And there's so many resources out there nowadays. I mean, I just remember, you know, growing up and when I was in high school, that's when, you know, the Apple, I think is the Macintosh computer is out, you know, the the green screen, right? And you have like Oracle yeah. on there. And uh it's like super slow, you know, even typing on it. And, you know, that's that was the technology that was around at that time. And I mean, if you even think about like the last 10 years, you just think about going back to 2010 and all the technology that's out nowadays. I mean, I think it's crazy because pretty much anything that I think of where I'm like, oh, it'd be really helpful to have this widget or gadget or app or whatever it is. It pretty much exists, which is pretty crazy. So you're right. There's a lot of technology, a lot of resources that we can use. So you've been very successful in your career. You've done a lot of great things. Is there something that is just always in the back of your mind where you're like, wow, I just, I really want to do this. And then you throw in the, but I'm too old. I'm too busy. I'm too this, I'm too this, you know, I'm too tired. I don't have this. Is there something that you want to accomplish that you just haven't accomplished yet? I throw all the excuses out the door, right? It just say you have endless resources, endless energy, time, whatever it is. What, what do you want to do with the rest of your life here? Well, you know, I, I've always felt like ultimately success is just about doing the things you love and being around people you care for. You know, it's, and it's also mental attitude, right? So, you know, I, I tried many things and I didn't succeed in many of the projects I attempted, maybe, maybe most of the projects I attempted. But I still say I'm successful already because I'm doing what I love. I'm surrounded by supportive family, friends, and colleagues, and I'm successful. So, so I, I think in, in saying, hey, well, what's next? From a project basis, a work basis, I want to take this, you know, carbon sequestration to the next level, have it really fly and be a go-to place to, to for climate change or to save the planet, basically, right? And that's, so, so to me, it's really inspiring personally to do that from, from work standpoint. From a personal standpoint, I, I want to get more fit. I want to, I'm a few pounds overweight, not too bad, maybe 20, 15, 20 pounds overweight. Just, but, but I'd really like to be much fitter. I, something I've never really done um, but I think it's, I've seen so many of my friends, some my age, some older, who benefit so much from staying fit and health, you know, so much health-wise. So I think those, and then just kind of keep on building on the relationships with people I care about. No, those are definitely um, praiseworthy things to be pursuing. And, you know, I agree, like the the fitness piece is like, so central, you know, to me, because if I don't have the energy to play with my kids or to go outside yeah. and do things, or, you know, I'll have the energy to pursue the things that I'm passionate about, you know, a lot yeah. of that stems from health. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, I'll, I'll lift weights, right? I'll, I'll lift weights in my basement. I have a, a little gym set up and I'll do the same exercises and, you know, I can take dumbbells and I could bench press them and I can curl dumbbells and I could do lat pull and all these things. But then, you know, it's like going outside and wrestling with the kids in the grass or doing like functional stuff. That's where I'm like, dang, I'm a wimp, right? So it's, that's what I'm talking about. Don't you run as well, too? 
I run too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, do, I run right. a lot. So I'm like, I need to focus on like functional strength, like strength that actually I use in um, daily life. So that's yeah, running kind of, is great. So I, I've never been much of a runner. I used to sprint when I was younger, and they say that you know sprinters don't usually make distance runners. I'm really enough to be more into running and other things. Yeah, once you get past like the painful part, I I was once extremely overweight at least overweight from my perspective and you know going out there and running for the first like year was miserable just going out and running a mile was like i thought i was gonna die and uh once i got past that uh then it's fun yeah. or maybe i'm just crazy and i call it fun so <laughs> andrew it's been great talking with you i, I think you shared a, a lot of valuable insights today for the listeners and you know i really appreciate your drive for just growth and improvement i think that says a lot about your character and has definitely contributed to you being successful and i know that you've said multiple times in the episode today and in other conversations like hey yeah i've been distracted and i've tried different things and I think that's great, you know, and I think that's a great message for the listeners too, where, you know, life isn't necessarily this linear plan where you go from A to B to C, you try things and you fail out things. Hey, look, I failed out a lot of things too, but you know, as we try things and as we experiment and we just, you know, create that space to do different things, we, we learn and grow and we stumble upon different opportunities. So I think that's a great message. So I appreciate your time, Andrew. Um, Hey, thank you. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, you're, you're certainly welcome. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. If there's any way I can be helpful to you and your business, or if you have feedback or ideas regarding this podcast, shoot me an email at contact at cultivar.com. I would love to connect. All the best.